Hey everybody, this is Klaatu. You're listening to the Good New World Order. I'm on the road. I am traveling. I've just been to the All Things Open Conference in Raleigh, North Carolina. Maybe you were there, maybe you weren't. If you were there, you should have told me, um, and I probably should have told you. Either way, I am on the road right now, so a couple of things came to mind. First of all, I have no show prepared. Second of all, I've been doing a lot of ebook reading uh, lately because I've been doing a lot of traveling, and traveling is a great time to read books catch up on books. I figured why not talk about my process around ebooks, specifically how to generate them, how to make them. This is something that I've found not everyone's quite as familiar and casual about it as I would have sort of expected. So I, I just kind of want to touch on it. If you don't know how to generate yourself an ebook, now you'll know by the end of this episode. Let's start out with saying, uh, th- with with alerting you that I'm going through sort of the the easiest procedural way to go. So there are lots of different ways to generate an ebook. One my my general favorite is docbook, but that's not that, that I don't want to get into docbook, right? That there's a lot of sort of special things about docbook that you would have to get into in order to make that sort of make sense and so on. What I want to talk about is everyone's favorite text conversion command pandoc, P A N D O C. It's a brilliant command. It does. It works wonders. There's. There are a lot more options to it than I guess maybe a lot of people realize. And and even so, going from here's a big dump of text from some place to oh I have an ebook on my e-reader is a lot easier than some people realize. I also want to say that ebooks are ebooks and PDFs are not. I have documented my hatred for PDFs. In other places, you can listen to Hacker Public Radio for a little mini series I did on 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 why PDFs are kind of a drag. Um, actually, it might not have been a mini series. Now that I'm thinking about it, but I know there's a series of posts or or episodes that I submitted to Hacker Public Radio over the course of a couple of months, where I was just kind of really going on about PDFs and how they didn't work very well and I talked about some of the alternatives and so on. So for me an ebook is is EPUB really, but there are other formats as you probably know, such as Mobi, M O B I. And I think there there is another one or used to be another one, I don't remember. Um but EPUB is the open standard, so I'm gonna just stick with that. So the first thing that we should probably talk about is why we're talking about this and that is simply because i've i've gotten a lot of material over the course of my life in a digital format and it's great to get the material but finding the time to sit in front of your computer to just read is sometimes difficult a lot of times if you're in front of your computer you're doing something else you're working at the computer on some project or something that you do at the computer or otherwise you're not in front of the computer at least that's how it is for me a lot of times if i'm taking a break from a computer. I would love to read, but the point of getting off the computer is to not be on the computer. So you want to get away from the computer. The last thing you want to do is is say, okay, well, I'm going to take a break from my computer. Now I'll load up an ebook on the screen and sit in the same position in the same place and continue to be at the computer. Ebooks are kind of nice for that. This is certainly since getting one of these 
fancy e-ink e-readers, the, the opportunity to be able to read away from the computer has gone way, way up, and that's really nice. I've read books on other devices, on my N800, on a mobile phone. I don't have a tablet or access to one, so I've never tried that, but a lot of times I find that the text just isn't, it's never the right size, and so you have to zoom in and then read one column and then go back up to the top of the page and read the next column and so on. And, and certainly if it's an older device, then sometimes they just can't load a PDF at all. They may claim that they can, but what they um, I guess what they mean is like a one to two page PDF. Otherwise, PDFs seem to take up just a bunch of processing power. I've, I've really looked that deep into it, but it seems to me like PDFs take up a bunch of RAM and a bunch of graphics processing in order to render the the layered entity that is a PDF page. And as I've said in a Hacker Public Radio episode, which you can go listen to, just the format of the PDF is just really, really, uh, just unbelievably bad. And I know that modern PDFs supposedly have what Adobe is calling a reflow feature, where they, they actually give you sort of access to the text outside of the layout of the PDF. But then you really kind of have to ask, why am I bothering with the PDF then? If, if I'm going to use the reflow feature where I can just look at the text, then shouldn't I just be looking at the text? And that's kind of how I feel about it. So EPUBs are nice for that. Now that we've talked about what an ebook is, I'm also going to sort of break that apart and say that the EPUB format is not the only way that a lot of e-readers look at text. So if you're looking to get a an electronic or a book on an electronic device, you should look into what that device supports because in fact, the EPUB may not be your only recourse. You may be able to look at something in another format. For instance, a lot of e-readers will perfectly happily accept HTML because EPUBs contain HTML. So if you throw HTML at it without the EPUB wrapper, it will probably display that for you just like a, a web browser would. Sometimes plain text files are acceptable. Sometimes Markdown is. Well, Markdown is plain text, so I guess that would work either way. I think uh, sometimes R... What is it? RTF? Is that the old the old deprecated Microsoft format that people still use? I think it's RTF. I forget what the, the extension is, but my point is that there are a couple of formats that you may be able to throw at an e-reader and just get the text without any effort whatsoever. But my use case, the thing that really made me think of I should do an episode about this topic, is taking a, a simple, generally simple PDF, dumping text from the PDF, and then formatting the text into a f- uh, into an easily convertible format for Pandoc. That's kind of been my workflow. And it's not necessarily the best workflow, and if I could avoid the PDF source, I do. And sometimes I can. Sometimes I have a PDF of something, and then I look it up online, and I find that they've got HTML version of that PDF. And then I'm able to just dump the HTML from the website, run it through Pandoc, and put it onto my e-reader. So there are different options depending on what the source of the, the text is, and if you're trying to get something into an ebook format, obviously... The, the less work you have to do, probably the better. So here's my workflow. When I encounter a body of text that I believe I need to have on an e-reader instead of a computer. First, let's assume that it's a PDF first. So that would be to get just the plain text. So I'll go into, uh, let's see, go into a folder where I've got some some PDFs. 
if I could find a folder with PDFs in it. Here we go. I've got PDF about programming language that I wanted to kind of read up on, and it's I only have it as a PDF. That's that's the only format that I have available to me. Really useful command is PDF to HTML, and that is PDF to HTML. That's the that's the name of the command. Where did I get this command? Yeah, let's let's actually look for that. Let's let's do exactly that. So let's do a find in var log packages, and then we'll do a type of f, and then we'll do exec grep h dash capital h lowercase i pdf to html. So that'll find any file in log packages. So that's everything that's installed, all a record of everything that's installed, and it's going to grep through it to find what pdf to html belongs to. And it looks like it belongs to the Poplar project, which uh, I know that Inkscape uses to import PDFs, so I imagine all of that is kind of wrapped up in, in that process, or, or that when I installed Inkscape, I think I, I probably installed Poplar as well, libpoplar or whatever. Okay, so that's, that's PDF to HTML. And then if I run that against, so if I just PDF to HTML, and then PDF that I have, and hit return, it processes it, it lists, it, it's telling me which page it's processing, so I'm just watching page numbers scroll by in my terminal. And then it leaves me with this file.html, the pdf underscore ind.html, and then it looks like it's also got the pdf with the, the letter s at the end.html. The underscore ind version of this is like the is, is the index of, of the pdf, so more or less it's the table of contents. I don't exactly know where it derives that information, where it gets that from. I don't know if that's a, it might be the bookmarks, essentially, of the pdf. That's probably what it is, the bookmark uh, data, but I'm not sure. I haven't verified it. Then there's an html file, which is really tiny. Uh, it's 440 bytes and it just contains really the head information and something about a frame. So I think, uh, okay, I see what's going on here. So the .html version of this is the a navigation bar, an iframe essentially containing the, the index file on one side and then the, the actual file, the content, on the other side. So the actual content is contained in foo and then s, the letter s.html. I don't know what S stands for, maybe strings, I don't know, but whatever it does stand for, that's the actual content. Now if I look at this HTML file, the S version of it, I see that there's a bunch of text in it, and it looks more or less like it's the the very sort of literal translation of a PDF into into a text or into HTML. And when I say literal, I mean it's got a lot of stuff in there that you wouldn't really want probably, um, when converting from PDF. It's got a lot of the stupid stuff from PDF built into it. For instance, at every line that the PDF ends with, it inserts very purposefully a break, a line break. Instead of taking up the full screen, it, it just it truncates itself sort of halfway through my screen because that's what the PDF represented. So if you're if you're looking for an exact re representation of the PDF, sort of like the length of the paragraphs and so on, then then you'll get it because this enforces that. Now, it's kind of funny because at the same time there's a bunch of stuff that it doesn't quite get right. I don't blame it, I blame PDF, but little things like a table for instance in PDFs aren't really marked up as tables. So when PDF to HTML translates a table, just gives you a really messy 
dump of all the text in the table by, I guess, by cell, by, by row, and then the next row, and then the next row. So I guess you could parse it and sort of make it make sense after a fashion, but it's it's not super convenient by any means. And yet, other things, like the length of a, you know, the arbitrary page break of a sentence is completely preserved. So that's a little bit of a messy way to go about this. Um, it has worked for me before. It, it takes a bunch of said commands to, for instance, get rid of the br, the, the line breaks, and insert page, uh, not page, uh, paragraphs at places that should be inserted and so on. So I've, I've used the HTML dump before, but the other option that you have is a PDF to text. That's the same, it's from Poplar again. It's the same kind of deal. It's PDF to T-O, T-E-X-T, PDF to text. Now you might find other commands from other libraries such as PDF to text, but the Poplar one is working for me right now. So if you do PDF to text and then the name of the file, then you get the file itself or the, the contents of the file just as, well, plain text, which a lot of times is um, just as arbitrary, but it's a lot cleaner because you don't have all the, the markup that HTML introduces. Now, in some cases, I've seen some pretty weird characters come through on the plain text dump, you know, little weird Unicode enforced, you know, uh, non-breaking spaces and um, special dashes and things like that. So I've, I've removed those again with said and I discovered along the way of doing that, that those weird, if you've ever seen those weird characters where it's a carrot and then an M or a carrot and then an L, that sort of thing, if you've ever seen those kind of oddities in, in a text file coming from a different system or something, uh, you can enter those into your terminal in a said command or, or otherwise, but you can enter them with control V and then control, for instance, M to get your little caret M or control V and then control L to get the caret L. I don't, I, I'm sure I've seen probably other versions of these, but they are, those are the two that I see most frequently when dumping from a PDF and, and, and parsing the text afterwards. It's a caret M and caret L, and I forget what those both are. I think they're think they're line-ending characters, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Either way, the, the sequence, the control V and then control T, or the control V, control M, control V, control L, whatever, um, was a real revelation for me because I didn't know how to set them out um, all, all, uh, without, like, just going into Emacs and... I mean, that's not using said at all, but I mean, just going into Emacs and replace string, and copy and paste that into a replace string. So the control V and then whatever character you want was kind of a useful trick for me. It might be useful to you the next time you see a special character like that. So once I get the plain text, I go through pretty, pretty manually and attempt to find a logical pattern to how this stuff got dumped. Unfortunately, it's not always logical. So sometimes you just have to go through manually and mark it up as much as you want. And that's really a question of your own tolerance and your own desire for, for making stuff pretty. I tend to get pretty distracted by this and in a, a really marvelous irony of uh, like a twist of fate, I guess, 
while processing text from a PDF to translate it into an ebook so that I can read it off the computer, I very frequently essentially read the book whilst parsing it. Um, luckily for me, though, it's a little bit like the principle of automating things. Not that this is at all automated, but you do this once. You scrub through your file once and put all your headers in and your your fix all your bullet lists and things like that. And then the next time you need to refer to it, you have it really, really nice looking on your e-reader. So that's something that I've... I, I, I do probably more often than I should, and yet I can't really argue with my past self because I benefit from it frequently, uh, especially when they are programming references. When you know when you when you need uh, to know what some function does, or or you you need to remember the a particular syntax rather than going to the website, you know, stopping what you're doing, going to the website, and blah blah. You just Turn over to your ebook reader, which you have right next to you at your desk, and you look up the thing. It's really, really handy. It's something that I do a lot. I just I keep my little ink book here, uh, which I reviewed on this show uh, last I don't know three or four times ago, uh, state trips ago. Um, ink book right here next to my 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 keyboard. I I have it. It's kind of my cheat sheet. Uh, for certain things, if I've entered it in, in here, and then I have my reference just kind of instantly right here, and I don't, that way I don't have to dip out into the internet and go to the website of whatever programming language, whether it's Lua or Python or, or Java or whatever. I just have everything right here, or, or XML for that matter, uh, like DocBook. Um, I, ha I have everything on the Inkbook. So on one hand, it's funny that that I'm processing these things so that I don't have to read them at the computer. And then on the other hand, it's actually really useful because it does get the job done. So anyway, my point being, you gotta scrub through the text and fix stuff. And sometimes it's really, really easy, and sometimes it's really, really not very easy. And sometimes it's a lost cause. I've seen PDFs, I guess, so poorly put together, and I'm not exactly sure what the variable here is. It might be the, the thing that exported the PDF. It might be some kind of, you know, the way that the things were the the text blocks were were generated or 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 laid out, but sometimes I've just seen it where like two columns be basically become merged, so every other line is a line from the column, or or it tries to combine certain lines from the both columns as if though it was big one big long line. So I, I've seen it I've seen it go horribly wrong to the point that it's just literally not worth it. It's just not it's not practical, um, but other times it works well, and you, I just have to go through and change some headings or update some bullet lists or convert some tables into bullet lists, that sort of thing. So that's that's kind of the workflow for scrubbing this stuff and making it presentable. I think Markdown is actually a really great... This is a great use case for Markdown. I, I don't... I don't always love Markdown, but one of the times that I really do find it very handy is for exactly this, when when I've got a big dump of text and all I need to do is to make it structured. I don't want it I don't I don't want to take the HTML because it's too it's too noisy, and I don't want to take the straight text because it's not predictable enough. But if I look at the straight text, convert it to markdown, then there's predictability there and I can send it off to some 
conversion program and know that it's going to know what to do with with certain line items. So that's a, it's it's this is kind of the reason I think I mean, this is what Markdown is for. I think using Markdown as a substitute for HTML and, and so on is probably a bad idea, but using it as a as a way to give structure to plain text, I think, is exactly what. It, that's why it should be a thing. I should start. Stop, I should stop saying Markdown and start saying Common Mark. Really, um, Common Mark is the is a really good project. Actually, if you haven't found it yet, or if I haven't mentioned it yet, go to commonmark.org, and it is the attempt to actually codify and specify the mess that is Markdown. And um, unfortunately, the the name Markdown is just so ingrained in in conversation and tech conversation that it's hard to get away from. But Common Mark is a much more sane version of of Markdown, so you should you should check that out if you ever if you are ever tempted to look at a Markdown cheat sheet or look at Markdown or or I mean seriously, never you should never go to the place where Markdown originated, like the website of the guy who made Markdown. It's just it's it's a mess. It's a horrible, outdated mess. Go to Common Mark, it is much, much better, far more sane, and uh we should really be calling it Common Mark rather than Markdown. Okay, so that's um that's scrubbing the text. Now once you're done that, then you've got this markdown file and it's all structured and it has predictability. And you can then create an EPUB out of the out of out of that single single markdown file, or sort of almost that single markdown file. So I'm going to go to a different one that I've already done here. And if I could just find it, here it is. Um, yeah, this was a really good book that I found, and. I really didn't, it was, it's a very narrative type of, it's sort of a, it's less a um, manual than it is a musing over some concepts, some programming concepts. And so I thought, well, this would be perfect for like an airplane read or something like that. So I converted, I did the conversion, and actually it looks like I actually did use the HTML on this one. But then I, um, I you, you, so the straight command, like without any flourish, is pandoc dash f for from, or you could do dash dash from, dash f for from, and then we'll say it's from, I guess in this case it looks like it's from markdown, or from HTML, and then dash t for two, or you could do dash dash two, t-o, I'll do dash t. And we want it to go to epub, and in this case three, epub three, because that's where we are right now, the EPUB version 3. Dash O for output. We could call it uh, foo.epub. And then you give the input file without any flag at all. So foo.html. Hit return, and you got an EPUB almost in no time. And remember, if you know this, if you don't, then it's new. Um, EPUB is just a zip file. That's all an EPUB is. It is a zip file, except instead of call, being called a zip, it is called EPUB. So there's no mystery to how an EPUB is created. It is a zip file renamed to an EPUB. Now, does that mean that you can just put a bunch of files in a zip and then call it an EPUB and have 
your e-reader know how to use that? No. So there, I guess there is a mystery about how EPUB is created. There's a structure there. And you can find out the structure by renaming any, any EPUB that you have. You can rename it to a .zip, unzip the thing, and then look at the structure. And you can almost reverse engineer it, honestly. But we're not going to do that right now. All I'm saying is that this EPUB is created. It is super simple to, to, to create, and it acts as a little miniature file system. And Pandoc knows pretty well the different elements that need to be in that file system, which is useful. So there's a couple of different things that we can add to to your little miniature EPUB file system. One of those is a style sheet. Another one of them is metadata. You can add a cover, cover art, and I think think that's um, those are the main ones I think now pandoc is an evolving command there are lots of new versions of it that are coming out every day you kind of kind of keep you, you kind of have to keep up with it in order to keep your options updated so I will try to kind of keep that in mind as I go along here and just know that if you're not listening to this, at, at the right time, the Pandoc may have changed by the time you hear this, and, and maybe some of the options might be different, but the concepts are the important thing. It's not really that big of a deal to, to know for sure you know, an exact uh, flag. It doesn't really, or exact option, it doesn't matter. You can always look that up. So for instance, if you, if at, in the end, whether you're going from HTML or Markdown, the end result is going to be a bunch of HTML files inside of a zip file called an EPUB. So styling it is just done with standard CSS. So if you know anything about CSS, even the basics, then you can style a bunch of the things in your ebook with with a with a CSS file. You could call it style.css. I usually call it epub.css just because um, I think it was probably more standard probably to call it style.css. I should probably start doing that. But you can you, you can change things about your your file. You can add fonts or change fonts or define fonts. You can adjust margins. You can do all kinds of things. Now, the big caveat here is that e-readers are not web browsers. Some web browsers are e-readers, but not all e-readers are web browsers. And so... A lot of times a vendor is selling an e-reader, an e-reading device, with preset CSS that kind of possibly takes precedence over the CSS that is embedded into an EPUB or into an e-book um, file. Whether they should do that or not is up for debate. I mean, I imagine a lot of them do it because they feel like their style sheet is more attractive than, than just trusting that any old EPUB coming down the pipe is going to have a good-looking um, style. So I, I, I get why they do it. And a lot of times there are overrides. You can very frequently override their CSS for your own or override the eBooks embedded for the vendor imposed. There's usually a lot of choice in this matter. Whether or not you know 90% of the readers are going to do that or not, I don't know. But... There is that option, whether you're going to do it. Maybe maybe it's too much trouble for you. 
So I, I tend to be a little bit reserved on my CSS styling of a of an ebook. If it doesn't need to be changed, I usually just leave it alone and assume that the e-reader of choice is going to make it look pretty for me. And and that, generally speaking, goes pretty well. It can be a little bit wonky sometimes because maybe a chapter name is really, really long and my e-reader doesn't know what to do with long chapter titles and so some of the letters overlap or something like that. But generally, just kind of keeping the intervention to a minimum is, is very frequently the right answer. Metadata is a little bit different though because the metadata of an ebook won't exist if you don't provide it. The way to provide metadata for an EPUB file is, in Pandoc anyway, uh, Pandoc, all of your standard options, and then dash dash EPUB dash metadata equals, and then some file name with metadata in it, which in my case I invariably call that metadata.xml because I feel like that's uh, an obvious file name for myself. Now the contents of that um, is a little bit messy right now because a lot of different e-readers look for different little bits of information and so on. So I use, I kind of use the sledgehammer approach where I just throw everything at, at it. And by everything I mean, okay, there are four tags. But um, there's two, one is a title, and then the title, and then close title, page title, and then the title, and then page close page title. The other one is DC colon title, and then again the title, and then close that DC colon title tag, and then so that those are all three the same things essentially. It's if if the book is named Foo, then it's title, Foo title, page title Foo page title DC colon title Foo, close DC title. Uh, colon title so it's it's just trying to hit all of the different requ requirements for various e-readers that are going to look for a title in some different element also make sure that you've got a title defined in your html source and so on markdown's a little bit more a little difficult to define a title because there's no there's not a title element for markdown as far as i know dc Colon creator is the uh, the author information that you want the e-reader to show. So most e-readers that I've ever seen, whether software or hardware, want to give want to sort of take control of the library. They don't want to show you your file system. Instead, they look at the metadata of your book. So whether you want to call DC creator. Uh, you know, just homebrew so that you know that it's your own thing or, or, or you know, my ebooks or whatever. I don't know. You could do it that way. If you want to sort it by the author, then that's fine as well. Point being, this is what, this is the author field when an e-reader shows you your, your book library by author and title. The DC creator is your author and then the title or page title or DC title is your, is the title of the, of the work. So that's just really, really basic XML. You don't have to do a whole lot there. It's just those four tags, and then you're you're, you're covered. You can do dash dash EPUB dash cover dash image equals cover.jpg. From what I understand, and I haven't looked at this lately, but the EPEG the the EPUB spec did not for a very long time define a 
a cover image. They just didn't think that was going to be a thing somehow. I don't know why they wouldn't have thought of that. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, I guess, but it's kind of funny if there's those classic sayings like, don't judge a book by its cover. So you'd think that someone designing a spec for a book would have thought, yeah, there should be a cover element of some sort. But apparently that wasn't a thing. Um, and maybe that was just something that they knew they had to do and just had to sort of plan, you know, that was just not in the earlier versions because they hadn't gotten around to to allowing for that, which is fair as well. Uh, either way, epub-cover-image equals, like, cover.jpg. Apparently, epub, a lot of e-readers will look for a an, an element called cover.jpg and use that as the cover, even though the epub spec for a very long time didn't define that. I'm not sure what the latest and greatest um, version of epub, or the, the latest spec of epub actually does. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. So now I'm going to look up a couple of other tags here because I'm not 100% sure. No, it doesn't look like... Okay, so yeah, some of the tags that I had in my little my, my cheat sheet are deprecated, so I'm not going to mention those because that seems seems pointless, really, to to list deprecated options. Yeah, okay, so that's it then. So that's uh, EPUB styles, or rather dash dash CSS dash dash EPUB dash metadata and dash dash EPUB dash cover dash image. Processing it with uh, the from and the to from HTML or from Markdown to EPUB3 with your output set to some EPUB file that you want generated creates an EPUB file. Like I say, you, if, if, you've got, if you've got an archive manager of any sort on your system, you can look at, in, into the EPUB because it's a zip file. You can just kind of open it up. And if your system doesn't understand what you're, how you're wanting to do that, just change the name to .zip, it's fine. You can always create a new one if, if something goes wrong. And then you can look right into it and see all the files. And it's a pretty, it's, it's honestly a pretty useful exercise to do because you do get, you, you get a sense for the, the layout of, of all the, um, of all the files. And you could even edit them possibly, or you could, you could take that zip and then unzip it and, and make changes to the, to the EPUB. Pretty handy. That's, that's it. That's all you have to do. Put the EPUB then on your, ebook reader and you have an ebook that you can read away from your computer. I guess I should probably mention that a lot of or some of some PDFs have in uh, like a password they're password protected which is a real pain. Some of them there's a couple of different levels, right? There's PDFs that are just someone printed it to a PDF or whatever and that's it. The text is sort of captured in the PDF and you have to still extract it to get to it, but it's there. It's not encrypted. Then there are PDFs that have, I don't know, you know, obviously I don't, I don't make PDFs with like Adobe Creator or whatever, or Acrobat, whatever it's called. So I don't know how to, how to do any of the, that stuff from the PDF side, but there, there seems to be a thing where the PDF is, is sort of, intentionally not password protected but i've seen like a warning in in the terminal that says this pdf has not been encrypted you know password protected by its author please respect its copyright or something like that and that's pretty i, I think that's quite nice because 
there's a a vague acknowledgement there that the text that you have purchased the text and and therefore how you need to use that text is up to you but there's also the expectation that you're not going to redistribute that the, the content without you know yourself because that's something that the author ought to be able to do not you i think that's a great way i i I wish we were in a world where that would, where, where there was a reasonable expectation where people would respect that. And then there's the final way, which is password protection. And the password protection is a drag, because that means that possibly you are not able to view that PDF outside of the PDF. And if, for whatever reason, the PDF isn't working for you, then you, you may have just purchased a PDF that is not useful to you. So I'm going to say that there are applications out there that will uh, brute force the password of a PDF for you, and it's a local application. That There are websites that'll do it for you, but you have to send the PDF to someone else's computer in order for that to happen, and I, I don't really agree with that. I'm, I'm very much of the mind that if someone has password encrypted a PDF, uh, then there's the expectation between you and the and the, the the entity that you've purchased that PDF that the content of that PDF is going to stay with you now I've never really well I can't say I've never but since discovering open source and Creative Commons I feel like I would rather work to to redistribute stuff that wants to be redistributed rather than redistribute stuff that does not want to be redistributed. Because if someone doesn't want you to redistribute their content, then why would you help promote them by redistributing their content? I just don't do it. Whether it is software, whether it is art, whether it's a technical manual, if there's the expectation that in order to get to that content, you have to pay the, the distributor for the right to see that content, then I'm not going to help them promote their methodology by stealing their content and redistributing it for them. Instead, if I am having to crack through a password, it's because the PDF has been purchased by me, and I do have the expectation that I can therefore access that content any way that I see fit. Uh, I certainly haven't signed any kind of contract with that distributor by purchasing their, their content that I won't view their content in any means except in a PDF. I mean, I guess sometimes you might have actually signed such a, a, a uh, an agreement, but I have not. There are ways to crack the PDF password locally without sending that content to someone else's computer, which I think counts as redistributing their content, because you'd, I'm assuming that if you're running a server that is offering to crack passwords for PDFs for free, you're keeping a copy of the PDF. I. I'm not down with that, so I use uh, pdfcrack.sourceforge.net, download it, compile it, install it, and let it run overnight. It takes forever to uh, crack through a password I have found, but you get the password in the end, you type it in, and then suddenly the password or the PDF is unlocked, and you can use uh, PDF to HTML or PDF to text to get the content. So that's pdfcrack.sourceforge.net. Do consider what you're promoting if you choose not to use that and choose to use some dodgy website instead.
So after all that, I should probably mention that you know Pandoc is is certainly I've I've wrapped this brief Pandoc tutorial in in a big over complex thing about extracting text from PDFs. It certainly doesn't have to have come from a PDF. You can find content or generate content yourself. You can write stuff and then load it onto your e-reader as simple uh, with with a simple pandoc command as well. Just that the same pandoc command, pandoc dash f html or markdown whatever dash t epub three dash o for output my book dot epub and then and then your input file my book dot md or html whatever and and it'll do it'll it'll do the conversion for you and you'll have an epub in no time and you can also do your metadata your yeah your metadata with that your cover art and your css as needed and it works fine so certainly you don't have to start with a pdf in order to make this work pandoc is a great little command and epub is a great little format and this has been the easiest way to get something from and from one format and to an EPUB with really just one command. So check out Pandoc if you're not using it. If you ever need to get something onto an e-reader, EPUB is the way to go. I wouldn't say nine times out of ten EPUB is the way to go compared to PDF because it really does depend on, on your use case. There are times when PDFs are, are really, really useful. Uh, there are times where PDFs are expected, and sending an EPUB to someone is just not going to, it, they're not going to look at it. Just, they're, they're not. It's just not a thing. They don't have an e-reader loaded on their computer. It's not the thing that they're going to click on and they're going to be able to see. So sometimes PDF just makes more sense. But when it doesn't, EPUB is there, and Pandoc can make it for you. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Listening to the GNU World Order Ogcast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Ogcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.